Welcome to this Summer Sabbath Sunday here at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Danny. And I'm Connie. Let us worship God in spirit and in truth. Our first lesson is taken from the eighth book of Romans, verses 31 through 39. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn, it is Jesus Christ who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for, intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or peril or sword or famine or persecution? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor spirit will keep us from the love of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading is taken from Paul's letter in Galatians, we are reading chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. Listen, as we celebrate freedom, think about how Paul talks about it here. Galatians 5, 13 and 14. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> well, it is a day of celebration. As we're just coming off our 4th of July celebration yesterday, I hope everybody had a great day. Uh, where we were, the sun was shining most of the day. I saw a few thunderclouds here or there, but I don't think it impeded much of the day, at least not where we are. Hope you had a chance to celebrate, be with family, eat some good food, and just enjoy your day. And it's important for us to celebrate because we are an amazing nation. Think for a minute about those things that give you pride for which you are grateful about being a citizen of the United States. I can remember back, I was 12 in 1980, which I know to some of you makes me an old man and some of you makes me a whippersnapper, but to those of you that are in that same age group, it's just right. In 1980, if you remember, that was the miracle on ice that was that unlikely win at the 
Winter Olympics at Lake Placid, New York. Winter Olympics hosted on our American soil. And nobody expected much from our hockey team. They were mostly collegiates, not professionals, not veterans, when so many other of the world hockey teams were. And they started to win. And we started to get excited. And we started to follow. And of course, the game of all games that came against the Soviet Union. They were the four-time gold medal defending champs. Most of them were veterans on their professional hockey teams in Russia. And the United States team was not given much of a chance to even get that far, much less win if they should face them. Well, they did face them. And I remember that game vividly as many of us do. I remember as a 12-year-old laying down on the floor, eyes glued to the TV, as in unbelieving fashion, the Americans were not just competitive, they were scoring here, they were defending here against the big bad Russians, until finally they won. You remember the greats, Mike Aruzioni, Jim Craig, the goalie that stopped some of those shots. And you remember Herb Brooks as their coach. And one of the things he shared with them about this team, before he went out to the Soviet Union, he said, you were born to be a player. You are meant to be here at this time. This is your moment. And they took it and they won and they moved on to the gold medal game and beat Finland um, to, to cap that amazing Olympic run. I remember how that felt, that patriotic sense that united all of us, if only for a short time. Sports can do that, but there's so much more. And as the coach told him, again, you were born to be a player. You are meant to be here at this time. This is your moment. And in a similar way, as we look at our nation, on July 4th, 2020, all of us were meant to be here at this time. This is our moment. Let's take a look at what Paul says to us about the idea of freedom. So we're in the book of Galatians, and the reason Paul wrote this letter to the church in Galatia was because they were having issues with what they called Judaizers. And Paul would come through and say, here's what you need to do to establish a church, to believe in Christ, give them the basics, and then he would move on to the next church. But then people would come behind him and say, well, Paul didn't have it all right. You need, in this case, to be circumcised. And we thank, on behalf of all of us, we thank our brother Paul for working this point out of our need to belong and follow Christ. But they would come behind and say, no, you have to go do what the Jews did first to then become a Christian. And the issue here was circumcision. 
And so they would go and kind of undermine Paul as he had been through to say, here's what you do. You can't earn this, friends. This is a gift. This is grace. This is what Christ has done for you in his resurrection. And others would say, no, but before you can claim that salvation, you have to be circumcised. And then Paul gets angry and then has to write these letters of clarification and go back, <coughs> excuse me, to prior places and say, no. What you don't understand is that you are putting salvation in your own hands by saying you have to do this to earn your salvation where salvation cannot be earned. Salvation is a gift. So circumcision is not something you have to do to be a Christian, to be saved, to follow Christ, to welcome into your heart and life the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's why Paul writes this letter, talking about the freedom in, that Christ has given us, the freedom not to have to earn it, work by work by work, but rather that it's already been done and you get to live in a state of freedom. Freedom from those things that Christ defeated, freedom from those things that we could not do ourselves, That is part of the joy of our walk with Christ. So today, I know we, we celebrate the Declaration of Independence on the 4th of July, but I'd also like to lift up the opening part of our Constitution that was signed in 1787 and then ratified 1788. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, bam, we're going to stop right there. In order to form a more perfect union, it says so much in that one phrase and then goes on to define what some of those things are, which of course is justice is first on the list, domestic tranquility, common defense, general welfare, securing blessings of liberty, for ourselves and the generations that will come. But to form a more perfect union, isn't that what we were seeking to do to break away from England? Form a more perfect union? Our forefathers and those involved with the fight against England to win our independence all thought that they could form and we could form a more perfect union. That was part of what motivated them and drove them. We can do this so much better. We've been abused by countries all over the world, and so we'll go do it and start our own. A more perfect union. And to me, it seems to indicate that growth is ongoing. We don't have a perfect union and then claim it perfect and then we stop. But rather, it is an ongoing quest to continue to be the more perfect union that not only our forefathers fought for, that yesterday we celebrated the independence of in the beginning of that process, but also that God undergirds as so many of our founding fathers were people of faith. 
It is clear in the documents, although their theology varied some, they were clear about God being the supreme authority. Really, the Declaration of Independence is based on a religious appeal to this supreme judge of the world, our God, for whom all of this doesn't make sense or can't be sustained without God, our creator, redeemer, and sustainer, continuing to be in partnership with our country, with those individuals that are citizens of this country, as God seeks to do for all countries. But our forefathers rested on that and those understandings of God and God being present. So when I look at in order to form a more perfect union, I see kind of two things. One, certainly it's talking about the union of these colonies to make a central new place, states, country. But first, I think a more perfect union needs to start with our relationship with God through Christ. Paul is trying to make them understand in Galatia that you don't earn it, friends. You've been given this gift. And a more perfect union between each of us and God through Christ and the Holy Spirit means that we can fully celebrate the freedom that God intended and intends for all of us. There is so much that we carry around. There is so much that we cannot take care of ourselves that God has already taken care of through the resurrected Christ. If we just believe that, if we just turn back, if we just rely on our risen Christ and make a more perfect union with him. That's an everyday opportunity we have. We all stumble, we all fall, we all fall short, which is what we include in every one of our worship services, a time of confession and repentance. But the more perfect a union we can create with Christ, the more freedom we experience in this earth. Freedom from those things that don't really matter as much as the things through God's eyes that do. Freedom from the things of this world that tell us that we're not whatever enough, that we never have enough, that we'll never be faithful enough. And yet all of that has been given to us if we choose to seek it and make our journey with Christ a more perfect union. So my first challenge to you is to look today about how you can make your walk with Christ, your relationship with God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, a more perfect union. You know where you fall short. I know where I fall short. And let's help each other, even though we are not physically together. There are so many ways that we continue to seek to be faithful, loving, growing, experiencing the joy and peace and hope of the risen Christ. So we can do that together 
if you come and if we come together, whether that's a phone call or a Zoom call or slowly starting to get back to meeting together in person, whether that's serving someone else, the freedom that Paul talks about here is one that says, this freedom was not meant for your own self-indulgence, but so that you would serve when love one another. So often we have that idea of freedom as being, well, I'm, I'm an American, freedom is for me, the individual. And yes, a part of that is right. But think about the times that you have thought about your rights or th thought about freedom as far as rights for those in the country. How many times have you thought about your own rights versus the rights of others who may not be fully accessible to those rights? The freedom that we are given is a freedom to serve and follow Christ. Freedom to share with one another our understanding of faith in our life. Nobody's perfect. Nobody has it all figured out, but you know and are enough. That's the freedom that we are given. And the more that we serve and love one another, the more freedom we experience in our life. You know that. The more that you worship and connect, the more that you serve and connect, the more that you learn and connect and make a more perfect union with Christ, the more freedom you have in life because your attitude changes. Your outlook changes. The things that were so important at one time become still are important, but less important than this freedom that you've been given to live your life and to share it with those who may not have that freedom. What a joy and opportunity we have. So seek that more perfect union. And then second, the literal way that we as a nation continue to grow and do better and seek to be better. Uh, two weeks ago, I talked about some of the challenges that African-Americans have faced in the history of this nation. As we look back to lament on where we've been in the past so that we can learn and educate ourselves to understand where, why and where we are now and how to move forward together. But part of the celebration and joy and hope in this nation is that while we are going back to learn and to grow, we also can celebrate from where we have come. So much has changed, not enough. We're nowhere near there yet, wherever there is freedom, equality. But we can look and say, look at the nature of this country is to seek to be a more perfect union, to seek to claim this freedom for all. It is slow at times, but it is present. So hear me as I lift up these opportunities that we can look at and share to show that we have learned and grown, although knowing we're not there yet. But here's some things that we did do that we can celebrate. June 26, 1948, President Harry Truman issues Executive Order 9981 to end segregation in the armed services. 1948. May 17, 1954, Brown versus Board of Education. 
effectively ending racial segregation in public schools. September 9th, 1957. Eisenhower signs the Civil Rights Act of 1957 into law to help protect voter rights. The law allows federal prosecution of those who suppress another's right to vote. July 2nd, 1964, President Lyndon B. Johnson signs the Civil Rights Act of 1964 into law, preventing employment discrimination due to race, color, sex, religion, or national origin. Title VII of the Act establishes the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission to help prevent workplace discrimination. August 6, 1965, President Johnson signs the Voting Rights Act of 1965 to prevent the use of literary tests as voting requirement. It has also allowed federal examiners to review voter qualifications and federal observers to monitor polling places. April 11, 1968, President Johnson signs the Civil Rights Act of 1968, also known as the Fair Housing Act, providing equal housing opportunity regardless of race, religion, or national origin. Into the 70s, 1972, Shirley Chisholm became the first majority party African-American candidate for president of the United States and the first woman to run for Democratic presidential nomination. Black History Month in 76 was founded by Professor Carter Woodson. Alex Haley published his novel Roots, The Saga of an American Family. It became a bestseller and generated great levels of interest in genealogy and history in African-American culture. President Jimmy Carter appointed Andrew Young to serve as ambassador to the United Nations in 1977, the first African-American to serve in the position. 1983, Guion, I hope I said that right, Bluford became the first African-American to go into space in NASA's program. President Ronald Reagan signed a bill in 1983 to create a federal holiday to honor Martin Luther King Jr. Alice Walker received the Pulitzer Prize in 1983 for her novel, The Color Purple. Ron Brown was elected chairman of the Democratic National Committee in 1989, becoming the first African-American to lead a major United States political party. Colin Powell was appointed as chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff in 1989, and he wasn't done yet. In 1990, Douglas Wilder was elected as the first African-American governor in Virginia. Clarence Thomas was confirmed to the U.S. Supreme Court in 1991. Colin Powell, then appointed as the first African-American to be Secretary of State on January 20th, 2001. Of course, on January 20th, 2009, Barack Obama sworn in as the 44th President of the United States. Former Maryland Lieutenant Governor Michael Steele, an African-American, was elected as the Chairman of the Republican National Party on January 30th, 2009. Right now, there are 54 black members of the House of Representatives and three in the Senate, 39 black mayors, a third of the mayors from America's top 100 cities are black. Out of the 796,000 sworn police officers in the United States, black constitute about 12.8 of that number, on par with um, their numbers uh, as far as numbers in the United States. Now, again, I don't read that as a way to say we're there, 
or as a way to say we need to stop learning and growing from where we've come, but to say at the same time we need to be learning and growing, we can celebrate that we have moved. There is hope. There is a way forward in this nation when we rally and when we unite. So celebrating July 4th is important. And important to say that through all of the protests through the 60s, that things did change. Not enough, but they did. And so now as we do this, we seek to learn and to grow and to move forward together to continue to live into the hope of what it means to accept freedom from the risen Christ and accept freedom as a part of the existence of this country. Moving forward is difficult. And the important thing about this freedom is for us to know that as Paul continues to share, is not just for each of us as individuals, but it is, in fact, to share. Listen to some of these quotes. The choice before us is plain, Christ or chaos, conviction or compromise, discipline or disintegration. I am rather tired of hearing about our rights and privileges as American citizens. The time has come, it is now, when we ought to hear about the duties and responsibilities of our citizenship. America's future depends on her accepting and demonstrating God's government. That was Peter Marshall. That was in the early to mid-1900s. He was a Presbyterian minister from Scotland. How about this one? Every generation of Americans need to know that freedom consists not in doing what we like, but in having the right to do what we ought. Oh, like that one. Pope John, second. Remember, democracy never lasts long. It soon wastes, exhausts, and murders itself. There never was a democracy yet that did not commit suicide. John Adams, thank you for that uplifting piece. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing from Edmund Burke. We're familiar with that quote. I will share one last one from George Washington, who in a letter to his wife on July 3rd, 1776, says, in a few days, you will see a declaration setting forth the causes which have impelled us to this mighty revolution and the reasons which will justify it in the sight of God. Now listen to this. I am fully aware of the toil, the blood, and the treasure that it will cost to maintain this declaration and support and defend these states. Yes, through all the gloom, I can see rays of ravishing light and glory. And that's why we celebrate knowing that we are not yet a perfect union, but seeking to be a more perfect union. Because we see the rays of ravishing light and glory we see the freedom that is meant for all. And we see the way that God undergirds and holds us all on that grace so that we can say together in one voice, let freedom ring. This will be the day when all of God's children will be able to sing with new meaning. My country, tis of thee, sweet land of liberty, of thee I sing. 
Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride, from every mountainside, let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring from the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire. Let freedom ring from the mighty mountains of New York. Let freedom ring from the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania. Let freedom ring from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring from the curvaceous slopes of California. Let freedom ring from Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and molehill in Mississippi. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And respectfully, if I could add, on the shores of the mighty Chattahoochee River in Columbus, Georgia, let freedom ring. Hallelujah. Amen.